Good afternoon. I'm Sandy Green, and I will be reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, you may be seated. And thank you, Sandy, for reading that for us. Well, good evening and welcome to Disciples Church. So good to be with you this evening. Good to sing these songs, um, familiar songs, new verses to songs, Christmas songs, to be able to have this time together with the people of God, to be singing and worshiping, um, praising him together, and now being able to open up scripture and look at it together. We're blessed to be here, and it's so good to see all of you. My name is Jonathan Mosier. It's my privilege to be able to share the word with you this evening. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn, if you're not already there, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I remember as a kid uh, growing up in church. So when Dave, when Dave just mentioned the idea that some of you have heard um, verses of this song before you were even born, that was, that was me. From the earliest moment that I can remember, literally as far back as I can remember, um, we were part of a church. My dad was a pastor, and so um, going to church and being part of the congregation and being in that building that we grew up in was just uh, as commonplace and ordinary an experience as I can think of. And I remember in particular as I was growing up, there was one particular series. I can't remember if it was in Sunday school or in something else, but I remember the teacher getting up one day and saying that we were going to do character studies on these different Old Testament characters through the Bible. So the idea was they were going to take a different character each week and focus on the particular traits and kind of draw out the things that we should learn from these characters. And so we were talking about Abraham and Moses and David and Noah and all of these, all of these Old Testament characters. And I remember it because this teacher in explaining it, she, she referred to these different characters as the heroes of our faith. And I remember that idea stuck in my mind. So as we were learning about all of the different character elements, she was talking about how Abraham demonstrated faith and how, how Noah demonstrated perseverance and how David demonstrated bravery. And it wasn't until years later and a lot more attention being given to Scripture that I, I remember realizing that the lives of the men and women that we studied in that study called Heroes of the Faith all had particular elements that were that were not worth imitating as well. There were portions of their lives where these characters actually partook in some pretty despicable behavior. And so if you actually go back and you look at the life of Abraham and the life of David and the life of Noah and Moses, yes, certainly see these character elements that are worth imitating and that are worth learning from, but 
But to walk away from those studies with the idea that the point of our Christianity, the point of our faith is to be like these people, I think is actually to miss the mark entirely. I don't think the point of those characters' lives is that we would walk away and praise what amazing heroes of the faith that we have. And really, for me, it wasn't until I was finished with college, um, I graduated, and I remember hearing someone preach on the idea that you can find Jesus on every page of the Bible, that whether it's explicit or implicit, everything in Scripture is ultimately pointing to our hope for redemption, for salvation, for for joy, for fulfillment, for identity, everything that we could long for or look for or hope for finds its, its purpose and its meaning in Jesus Christ, and that on every page of Scripture what you find is an allusion to the perfection of Jesus Christ, to the hope that He brings, to who He actually is. And it was a few years later yet where I remember hearing hearing a series of sermons by a pastor who then went on to kind of write in a Cliff's Note format the way that all of these Old Testament characters actually gave us a portrayal of Jesus Christ. And so I'll just give you three, the three that I mentioned. Here's what that pastor said about these men. He said, Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all of the comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. And the point of all that is this, there is one hero of our faith. One hero. And it's Jesus on every single page And the reason that I spend the time to give that brief introduction to our text this morning is because with this text in particular, I think it's important that we come in with the understanding that Jesus is the hero of this story. Because you can read this story and begin to try to apply the principles that you find in it in such a way where you walk away thinking that Bartimaeus is actually the hero. Look at his faith. Look at what he did. Look how he called out to Jesus. Be like Bartimaeus. Call out to Jesus. Do these things and you will receive your reward. But to take that away from this text would be to miss the point of why Mark records it for us. Because the alternative way that we read this text is to understand that there is only one hero in this story and that is Jesus. So you'll remember last week as we were talking about the previous text, we talked about the idea that Jesus comes prophesying his own death, that he, he comes before his disciples and he tells them, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go into Jerusalem. There's going to be a trial. I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to be spat upon and ridiculed and mocked. And then ultimately, I'm going to be murdered. And then he calls them to a life of service and actual, actual Christian slavery one to another, that we are actively pursuing and looking for opportunities to serve one another ultimately because Jesus Christ himself came as a servant to all. And this is, the, today's text is the end of what is known as the great discipleship discourse, where Jesus is ultimately teaching us for the last three chapters that for the Christian, the way down is up, and the way up is down. That whomever would become servant of all would be the greatest of all. And in this passage, we see a truth about leadership in the example of Jesus 
which is that he never asks us to do anything that he would not be willing to do himself. So notice what's happening in verse 46. And we'll just read one sentence and then stop. It says, and they came to Jericho. And I just want to stop there and set the scene a little bit for you. Remember, Jesus had been making his way into Jerusalem. This is about the, past, uh, the time of Passover. And so more and more crowds of people are beginning to make their way towards Jerusalem. And if you were coming from the direction Jesus was coming from, you had to go through Jericho. Jericho was a valley. It was set way down even below sea level. And now he had to begin that ascension up to Jerusalem. Jesus had in front of him about a, uh, about a two-thirds mile vertically hike that he, needed to, uh, that he needed to move forward with in order to get to his destination in Jerusalem. And here's what it says. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now just stop and imagine the scene if you can. Passover is just around the corner. Roads are becoming congested with travelers from all around the nation and even all around this portion of the world as faithful Jews make their pilgrimage into Jerusalem for the time of Passover. And on top of all of that, word is beginning to spread that this Jesus of Nazareth, this one who performs miracles and teaches and does mighty works and and says amazing things about the character and nature of God and even makes amazing claims about his own person and his own life, this Jesus is now making his way into Jerusalem as well. So in addition to all the regular traffic that would have been going to Jerusalem this time of year, there is exponentially more and they begin to crowd in around Jesus. Everybody wants to get a a glance at him. Everybody wants to see him. They want to maybe witness a miracle. They want to hear him teach. And all of this hubbub, all of this busyness is set on a very ordinary backdrop. Because in the streets of Jericho, we're introduced to a man named Bartimaeus. And his name literally means son of Timaeus. If you remember, uh, at one point, Simon is introduced as Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar meaning son of. So this is the son of Timaeus. And it's interesting just to notice that this man's name is given for us. Excuse me. In all of the Synoptic Gospels, this is the only person who experiences personal healing from Jesus Christ whose name is recorded for us. We're told about different family members who had, uh, who, who had their family healed by Jesus Christ. We're told about all kinds of different miracles. But in the Synoptic Gospels, this is the only person whose name is actually recorded for us. And there's all kinds of, all kinds of reckons as to why that is. Some people say that it's because this man was actually known to the Jerusalem church, that he was a member of the church in Jerusalem. And, and so Mark was giving credence to this story, saying, hey, if you want to find out if this story is true, all you have to do is go find, is go find this man and you can ask him about the story yourself. Others reckon that the fame of this man would have grown so intensely and so immediately because of the timing in which it happened that you couldn't walk throughout this region without realizing that there was this man named Bartimaeus who'd been healed at the hands of Jesus Christ. But either way, he was likely alive at the time of this writing. And so here sits this blind man in his usual spot on the street as the crowds begin to come through. At this time, there were no systems that allowed the blind to work. If you were blind, you were incapable of working and therefore your contribution to culture and society at large was 
was recognized to be almost nothing. Your value as a person was almost nothing. And so to have some sort of a severe disability like this meant that you were destined for a life of begging. And so if you lived in this town, you would have been walking through these streets, perhaps on your way to work each day, and you would recognize there's the spot where Bartimaeus always sits begging for money. And so perhaps you'd pack an extra sandwich or or bring along some change to drop to him as you begin to walk by on your route. But the truth was, to this point, he had just become a part of the landscape. Easy to miss, easy to ignore. And Bartimaeus, for his part, was used to the traffic patterns of the city. He was used to what it sounded like when particular people walked by. He recognized their voices. He knew the time of day at which most people would have gone to work or come home from work. He, he certainly knew at this point in his life how things sounded and what the, what the environment was like when the buzz of Passover season came in. But here today, something's different. He's hearing rumblings, literally, And he's hearing the buzz, the name of Jesus Christ hitting his ears. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus begins to yell out to Jesus to distinguish his cries from the cries of those that were around him who were just yelling, Jesus, all wanting to see him to get a to lay a finger on him just to get a glimpse of this person, Jesus Christ. He distinguishes his language by saying, Jesus, son of David. And look at the response here, verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. See, the crowds missed the truth of what it was that Bartimaeus was saying. They missed the significance of the language that he used when they called him son of David. They turn to him and they yell at him to be quiet, but Bartimaeus can't be silent. And he yells even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. This man who is physically blind shows greater spiritual sight in this moment than all those who had actually laid eyes on Jesus Christ. They had the advantage of witnessing him, of seeing him, perhaps of hearing him teach and and seeing him perform miracles, but they all in this moment, the significance of what this man has said. Because when he cries out in this moment, Jesus, Son of David, he is declaring with absolute certainty that this one, this Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. This is the one who was promised to us. This is the one who was promised to us in the in the Old Testament, when, when, when a promise came from God Himself to David saying, I'm going to make a great generation for you. Uh, through you is going to come a kingdom that will have no end. Now Jesus, for His part, has been ministering and walking. This has been an emotional season for Him. The burden of what lies ahead has been weighing on His mind He has the substantial journey left ahead of him. The spiritual weight of the world is about to come down on his shoulders. And on top of that, he's surrounded by disciples and crowds who for all of their good intentions could not understand what he was experiencing. Imagine how you and I might have acted if we were in the same place distracted and dour and sullen and withdrawn and cynical. But not so with Jesus. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped 
recognizing that someone had just called him son of David, someone just made the connection that he actually is the Messiah, the promised one of God, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So through all of the din of the moment that Jesus uh, is experiencing, he hears the voice of this man, Bartimaeus, who is in need. And Jesus defies the crowds, he defies all of the demands on his time and all the demands on his attention. He defies the expectations of everyone around him, from a religious elite who had come out to greet him and to see him and to recognize him as a fellow rabbi, to those that were coming out to worship him and proclaim his name and his goodness, to all those who were of high station in society who were looking to see him and experience him, and to all others who were there hoping to get something from Jesus. He stops and he listens to the voice of the person who is most unlikely to be heard by anyone else in the crowd. And just like any good leader, Jesus is willing to do the things that he demands of his own followers. So last week, we talked about the idea that Jesus had said, the greatest among you must be servant of all. The first among you must be slave of all. So near the end of this long journey, in the midst of what has been an emotional and physically exhausting week, Jesus follows the Spirit's prompting and cares for this man. And it's in this example that we see the divine inconvenience of servanthood. That Jesus demonstrates through his actions what it actually means to be a slave of all. He begins to serve this man who had no means of paying him back. He begins to serve this man without any expectation of reciprocity. And Jesus is so filled with compassion for blind Bartimaeus that he now calls for him. And there's a lesson in this for us. Take heart, brothers and sisters, Jesus always hears the cries of the needy. Always. In the midst of all the other demands and everything else going on, he hears this cry. And the question, of course, then is, why does he hear this cry? Why is it that this voice is the one that jumps out in the ear of Christ? And I think we find the answer in the passage that we looked at a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 10, verse 15. Here's what that passage says. It says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive, uh, excuse me, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In other words, want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to know what it's like to be with Christ, if you want to experience salvation and restoration and reconciliation, if you want to know those things for yourself, the way that you enter into that is as a child would enter into it. And as Dave was preaching on that text, he said something that I think was really helpful. He said, what does it actually mean to receive the kingdom like a child? He said, children trust, children depend, and they don't refuse good things due to their own self-sufficiency, they are, a key, they are keenly aware that they possess nothing. 
as soon as you think you have something to offer Jesus Christ, as soon as you believe that there is some goodness inherent in you by which the Lord ought to hear you, or some good deed through which you purchased his attention, what you're actually claiming in that moment is, I don't really need you. I don't really need you. Jesus. I've kind of got this thing figured out. I've figured out the game. If I do these things, if I act this way, if I am this sort of person, I will put you into into my debt. You will owe me for the good behavior and the good patterns of my lifestyle. And when you live that way, you are declaring in no uncertain terms that you are not dependent fully on Christ. But Jesus always responds to the cries of those who have nothing to offer him. And by the way, that includes every one of us, whether we realize it or not. See, Jesus loves sinners because sinners are all that there are. And Bartimaeus in this moment is exhibiting that childlike faith. It's a recognition that he had nothing to give Jesus. He had no physical goods to extend to him. He had no service he could perform for him. He couldn't see and he didn't know where to go and he just had his little hovel in the middle of a street. He had nothing with which to repay Jesus. And when we come in full dependency, Jesus hears So aware of his own desperation, he calls out to Jesus, and Jesus calls back, and look what it says in verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, teacher, let me recover my sight. all the things that Bartimaeus could have asked for, he asks for something that, while humanly impossible, is actually relatively simple in the eyes of Jesus Christ. He says, let me recover my sight. We don't know from that use of the word recover, we don't know if this man was born blind or if he had had some sort of accident, at which point he became blind, but he comes to Jesus saying, will you please do this in me? And he uses extraordinary language in this request. Notice how he actually says it. He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Let me. He's saying in that moment and through those words, I know that the power to grant my request is in your hand. Only you can let this happen. If I see or if I don't see, that is ultimately your power and ability to make it happen. And in this we understand that our basis for faith is in the recognition of Jesus' person and power. And Jesus said to him, verse 52, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says to him, the faith that you've placed in me has made you well. And as we've talked about this idea previously, it isn't that Bartimaeus had some overwhelming level of faith that brought about his healing. And the reason we know that is because of all the other stories we've read to this point. Do you remember the man to Jesus and said, you have, to, you have to come and do a work of healing. I need you to come and, and bring restoration and salvation and healing into my household. And, and Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man's response is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you remember when we just studied that a few weeks ago? The lesson of that is this. 
Salvation and healing and restoration comes not from your ability to muster up your own faith and belief. It isn't something that you can produce in and of yourself. What is important in your faith is its object, not its strength. It was the fact that Bartimaeus chose in this moment to place his faith in the only one who could restore his sight. And because of where Bartimaeus placed his faith, his faith literally became sight. And just like Jesus always does when he's answering these requests, he grants to Bartimaeus more than he could have ever asked for. Because he says to him in this verse, he says, go your way, your faith has made you well. And the word well that's translated that way in our English Bibles is a Greek word that insinuates wholeness or completion, but it's also the root word from which we get our word salvation. It's the Greek word, so it's literally it's the word where we get the word soteriology, meaning the salvation that comes only from God. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, I will grant your request, but I'm going to grant you something infinitely greater. I'm going to give you more than you asked for. I'm going to provide something that you could have never even thought to have asked me for. Bartimaeus came looking for physical restoration and he received physical and spiritual restoration. Because notice what happens next. And immediately, he recovered his sight. And what does he do? And he followed Jesus on the way. I'm not sure what jumps out in your mind as you hear these words and as you read a text like this, but I'll tell you what jumped into my mind as soon as I read that. It it reminded me, again, of a passage that we just covered recently, earlier in Mark chapter 10, the conversation on the children and the kingdom and the rich young ruler. It's Mark 10, 13 through 22, if you want to go back and read it. But what's interesting about that story is, is the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he comes wanting to believe in Jesus, and wanting to spend time with Jesus, and wanting to know Jesus, and wanting to worship Jesus even, and he comes to him saying, teacher, how is it that I can, how is it that I can enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus goes back and forth with him for a while, and and finally the man responds, I've done everything that's been asked of me, and Jesus says, well fine, what you need to do is go sell all of your goods and follow me. And we're told that the man walked away sad because he had many possessions. In other words, he wanted to follow Jesus, he wanted to enter the kingdom, but he didn't want to lose what was most important to him, which was the things that belonged to him. But here, in this verse, in verse 50, Mark includes an interesting detail about Bartimaeus. It says, when he heard the call of Jesus, he jumped up, and threw off his cloak. Now remember, this is a poor man. It's likely that he only had one cloak, and a cloak in this day was something that could be fashioned to protect you from the heat of the sun. It was certainly something that kept you from the oppressive cold. It was your, it was your tent if you were poor. It was your coat. It was, it was your shade. It was the most important thing to you because it was most likely the most expensive piece of clothing that you owned, and if you're poor, you only had one of them. And yet, at the voice of Jesus calling this man to himself, Bartimaeus jumps up and throws his cloak to the floor. He leaves everything where it is for the chance of being near Jesus. 
The rich young ruler is standing face to face with Jesus. He's looking him in the eye. He's calling him teacher. He's experiencing up front and up close and personal who Jesus Christ is, and yet he walks away sad because he doesn't want to lose possessions. And yet at the mere opportunity to see Jesus Christ or to approach Jesus Christ, this man throws off everything of earthly value to come to him. And in doing so, he receives something infinitely greater than what he could have asked for. And we're told what he does with that. He follows Jesus on the way. Even though he was following Jesus to the place of his death. And in following Jesus Christ on the road to the cross, he still trusted that Jesus would provide every need. See, even when it looks like it will cost us everything, God is always faithful to provide our needs. So here's the question that I was asking myself as I was looking at this text this week. What is it about Jesus that makes him take notice of this man who by all human intents and purposes should have been ignored. And there's a lot of obvious answers that we could give to that, right? We talk about the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus. We can certainly talk about the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into this moment, and undoubtedly all of those things are true. But, but let, me, let me jump back to something that I think was, was at least interesting and worth consideration. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I think it's interesting. I want to point out something. If you've been a believer for a while, or if you've been around the church for a while, or especially if you grew up in the church or in Sunday school, it's likely that, that how this passage started rung a bell in your head, because it started by saying, and they entered into Jericho. And if you remember the city of Jericho, this is a site of one of the most famous Old Testament stories. Jericho was a city that had been an enemy city of Israel, and God had promised the children of Israel that he was going to deliver this city to them. If you're faithful to me, and if you obey me, if you trust me, I'm going to give this city to you. It's going to be part of your earthly kingdom here. You just need to trust me and obey, and I will deliver this city to you. And so God had commanded ahead of this invasion that he was going to send spies into the city to scout out what was happening in the city of Jericho. So at about that time in the story, we're introduced to a woman named Rahab. Now, Rahab is interesting for a variety of reasons in Scripture. She's a fascinating, fascinating character and worth our study and worth our time and attention. But to make the story short, Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. And as such, she had experienced horrific things in her life. And we're not given a backstory, but we can certainly backfill that story for ourselves to figure out how she ended up in a situation like this. She had likely experienced all kinds of abuse and violence and mistreatment in a culture that already viewed women as second-class citizens. And so here is this woman who, who has no reason for the sympathy of anybody, no reason for the compassionate touch, no reason to be loved, at least in a religious understanding of what God's love is, no reason to be loved of God just by virtue of the lifestyle that she lived. But Rahab had heard that the people of God were on their way. She had heard ultimately that salvation through God might be coming. And so she determined in her help to help it determined in her heart rather to help the spies who were sent into the city to scout it out. 
Well, as the spies are there scouting out the city, word gets out that spies from Israel have infiltrated the city. The city is shut down. City officials begin scouring the streets and going door to door trying to find these Israelite spies. And so the Israelite spies make their way to Rahab and she says, look, you can come in to my place. I'll, I'll hide you. I'll put you away. They'll never be able to find you. If they come to the door, I'll tell them you're not here. I'll take care of everything that's going to happen. You just need to trust me. And in that, she, in fact, is trusting her life to God. She's taking her own life into her hands at this point she's risking she's risking herself for the sake of caring for these two Israelite spies ultimately the officials come they don't find the spies they go on their way and before these two Israelite spies leave Rahab has a conversation with them and she says hey when you come again into the city when you come to take it for your own would you remember that I'm here would you let me live? Is there any way that you think God will, will spare me from what inevitably lies ahead of me? And the spy said, as they're being lowered out the window, we'll tell you what you do. You take this scarlet cord that we're going to climb out of your window to leave the city. You hang that cord out your window. And when we see it, we're going to remember where you are and God's going to protect you and ultimately deliver you and bring you salvation because of the way that you've trusted him and helped us. So she lowers the cord out her window. Ultimately, the city is destroyed. But Rahab and her family live. She faithfully obeyed, and God faithfully delivered. And what's fascinating about all of this is that unbeknownst to her, not only did God spare her life, but just like Bartimaeus, he gave her something infinitely greater. Because we find out later that Jesus was a great, 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 great grandson of Rahab the harlot. God turned her shame into honor. He exchanged her past for his future. She wanted her physical life to be spared, and he gave her a whole new life and identity. And God used a female Gentile prostitute in the line of Jesus Christ. That's redemption. Church tradition tells us that Bartimaeus, after having his, eyes, his eyesight restored, followed Jesus all the way to the cross. That within the first week or two of having his sight restored, one of the first things that he actually encounters is the crucifixion of the man who had given him his sight and his salvation. And as Bartimaeus followed Jesus into Jerusalem and perhaps even to the cross, that scarlet cord of Rahab took on a whole new meaning. Because the salvation that Rahab experienced found its deepest meaning in the blood that Jesus spilled on the cross. That Jesus gave himself to bring the permanent and eternal salvation for Rahab and for Bartimaeus and for you and for me. See, God always cares about those that this world finds dispensable. Now, I certainly don't know the mind of Christ. And I don't know if on that day as he walked into that city, 
the memory and the, the stories of his great, 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 great grandmother Rahab would have been running through his mind. But one thing is for certain, whether it's Rahab or Bartimaeus or you, God loves to redeem those whom the world has written off. And we're entering into a season, literally as we go into winter, we're entering into a season that is hard for a lot of people. Maybe you've felt ignored or rejected or abandoned or beaten down. We're walking into a holiday season where many of you are reminded of the relationships that you no longer have. Some of you have lost a loved one this year. Some of you, due to our strange circumstances, may not be able to see the family that you love this Christmas. For others, you look outside at 4 p.m. and you feel the oppression of cold weather and dark days. And we could pick a hundred other examples of what might be going wrong in your life. But the reminder of this passage is that Jesus knows the pain you experience. That he has carried the dread that you might live with daily. That he's experienced the loss that inevitably touches our life. But when you cry out in desperation and in abandon, Jesus, Son of David, Lord have mercy on me. He is never too busy to stop and be with you. And likewise, there is a call extended to every one of us. The call that divine inconvenience of servanthood will cause us to stop and listen and care for those whom God has providentially placed around us. That if we are to be a friend of sinners as Jesus was, we must be, at, we must be attentive to the cries of the needy. And so my hope for you today is that you would hear the call that was given to Bartimaeus. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. He's calling you to find wholeness and salvation in him. He's calling you to be willing to leave everything in order to follow him. He's calling you to listen and to serve those who desperately need him. And so our prayer, Disciples Church, is that God would give us strength to respond to that call, however it plays out in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord God, in your wisdom, we end the great discipleship discourse with the healing of a blind man, just as it began in Mark chapter 8. And God, in the fullness of time, in your sovereignty and in your wisdom, your earthly ministry approached its close in the same place where Rahab was spared. So God, we don't, we don't look at these things as coincidence. In these stories, we find the weaving together of your sovereignty and your grace. That you have called people to yourself, that you have pursued and that you have sought, that you have listened to the cries of those who are desperate, that you hear those cries and that you respond. God, that you extend and give faith as a gift so that ultimately we can place that faith in you, the only object of our hope and the only object 
that can bear the weight of our souls and our deepest needs. And so God, without knowing the needs of everyone in this room, we trust you with those this evening. We pray that in the same way that you heard the cry of Bartimaeus and that you heard the cry of Rahab, that we would confidently come before you with our cries, knowing that we have a God who is not untouched with our grief, who is not unfeeling regarding our circumstances, and who loves to bring redemption and grace and healing and salvation. So God, help us to respond to the call, to trust you as our Savior, to be faithful to the ministries that you've entrusted to us in our lives, to rely and lean upon you for our everything. And it's in your most precious name that we pray. Amen.